This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I will be damned if the same politicians who refuse to act then are going to try to come back today. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. A system of justice will be the richer for diversity of background and experience. And correction. Hello, everybody. It's me, Miss Cracker. I'm here with my co-pilot, Caitlin. And it's time for She's a Woman. It's a podcast for every human being who looks into the mirror and says, She's a woman! And for the people who love them. Every week, we talk to incredible women of all kinds from all walks of life and invite them to share their stories with you, our incredible listeners. And that's exactly what we're going to do today, Cradalina. How are you doing, Caitlin? I'm good. It's crazy weather. We just had a hurricane or tropical storm here in New York, and it was blowing everything apart and flooding the subways. I know. Luckily, we missed a good chunk of it. We did miss a good we chunk were, of we it. We were upstate. We were weirdly, up- it didn't hit. Yeah, it didn't hit us. We, we did a beautiful outdoor show while everyone here was drowning. And I feel like this isn't the first time we've introduced a podcast by saying that there was a major storm in New York City, right? Like, we've been through a lot of weather. We, we have been. I feel like maybe there were like snow storms that we've been through in the past yeah we've been through a lot but speaking of going through things we're almost all the way through 2021 which feels crazy which feels nuts i feel like it was just january 1st 2021 oh i know i i do too and i'm still not recovered from 2020 as you Uh, often say no Yeah. yeah but the good news about that is that means it's almost 2022 and that means it's almost time for the united states leg of my north american tour she's a woman that's right and then you know this tour has been rescheduled several times now so we're really hoping that this one sticks yeah and that um we can go back out on the road again yeah i can't wait to see everyone's little beady eyes out there in the audience watching me i have and a constantly evolving show it's at a very particular place now Mm -hmm. um and i'm touring with it a little bit but as the months go by it always changes and i think it'll be different every night so and it's gonna be fully original stuff right yeah all original stuff yeah original music choreography and mostly, above all, brand new stand-up that's constantly being updated. So. Yeah, I was going to say, your comedy's always being updated because life keeps flinging. 
shit at you. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That is exactly what happens because I'm like, okay, I got to talk about this now. Yeah, I got to make it funny so you can uh, wake up in the morning, you that's know? That's right. Yeah. That's right. So if you want to see the tour and you want to know what shit has been thrown at me recently, then just go to she's a woman tour.com and get your tickets. And we're going to be announcing Canadian dates too, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right now, just the U.S. dates are announced. But Canada is coming soon. So, And hopefully one day we'll be back in Europe. But not, uh, not this time around. Yeah, please, <laughs> Lord. Anyway, I want to dive right into our interview for today. But first, I have a little treat for you, Caitlin. Every week, we do a little segment called Here's the Good News, where we share positive stories torn from the headlines. The idea is that they'll bring you, our listeners, a little hope during these difficult times. And this week, our news is all about women of a fantastic age. Now, Caitlin, one of the things you have always been concerned about on this podcast is ageism. Isn't that right? Yes, that's true. I feel like we've discussed... That before, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah, for sure. We talked about it when we were looking at those photos of elders. Oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And we talked about it with giraffes. A couple That's of, right. Yeah, we talked okay. about how grandparent giraffes are very important. But anyway, no matter where you look, especially in the United States, especially in our industry, there is a focus on youth. You got to be young to be considered vital, to be considered clever or promising or talented. Then once you reach a certain age... You get ignored, not even like looked down on, just ignored. And I think that leaves a lot of people, especially women, feeling like their life is over once they reach age 55. So here's the good news. This is like not a event. It is an opinion piece, but it's so wonderful. I just read the most beautiful article in T, the magazine of the New York Times, a piece that's all about reversing ageist ideas. And I think it's so important and perfect for this podcast. So someone wrote into the T advice column with a question. Is it true that if a woman hasn't achieved her highest good by age 55, she never will? And the question goes on, but that's the the gist of the question. Her highest good? Yeah, hasn't done her thing, hasn't done her big achievement by yeah. age 55, yeah. you know? Like, it's over. You, like, hit 55, you're like, well, I guess that's all I did. Now I'm just going to, like, do some, like, gardening. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... The columnists respond to this question with the most beautiful response. Basically, they give a resounding no with lots of examples. Kamala Harris turned 56 just before she was elected vice president, for one thing. And they give a laundry list of other amazing women writers and artists and actresses who continue to create and do amazing things well into their 60s and 70s, including Nobel Prize winners and Oscar Award winners and so much more. Anyway, you can find this article in T Magazine. I think that everyone should read it because it gives some great recommendations for artists and creators to look at. But I just also love it because it offers so much proof that ageism is ridiculous and because it acknowledges all the people that are out there feeling like the clock is ticking in some way. So it ends with some simple advice that I think is amazing wisdom for anyone of any age. Let yourself waste time as if you were young again and too immortal to know any better. 
So I thought this was yeah. a great piece. You know, it's actually making me think. You can see I have my thinking. I was like, what's, what's she thinking about? <laughs> I feel like that idea is tied with sort of the old-fashioned idea that women are here just to give birth. Right. And 55 is sort of like, let's say, like a sort of the age or right around there where like menopause happens. Yeah. And so I feel like that's all tied to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Give birth or be a sex object, you know, like. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And it's, it's Menopause sort of is like, associated with like losing your sex appeal and like not being Yeah, and you can't give chicken. birth. And so mm-hmm. I feel like it, like women especially kind of feel like, okay, well, it's done. I'm now what? You know what I mean? Whereas I feel like. It's not the same way with men around well, that same age. I mean, we see you know so I mean? many male actors that make it into their later right? years. Yeah, and they yeah. just do movies with like 20 year old actresses yeah. across from them, you know? And I feel so I feel like it's like so tied into like the idea of what women are good for. Right. And that around 55 is sort of this like the age that people have decided. I guess it's is that it now? I should just become a little grandma. I should just become a little Which grandma. Which also is great. Which is I also love great. Grandmas. Yeah, so <laughs> it talks about I can't remember the name of the actress, but it talks about this actress that did movies 50 years ago and was winning awards for them and then just recently got an Oscar for another lead performance and it's just like you never know when mm. You're going to create something amazing again. Also, our guest today is a good guest for that. And is that our what you guest were gonna today, say? <laughs> so like, and our guest today is a great is a great example of that. She went to Yale, I believe, in 1967, and she has mm-hmm. been creating work since then. Her name is Judith Bernstein, and I have interviewed her before for Art Forum, which, if you Google Art Forum. Judith Bernstein, Miss Cracker, you will find it. And there's a beautiful art series that I did with Art Forum that I think deserves attention. (laughs) But anyway, I did this beautiful interview with her. Just look that up, Judith Bernstein, and you'll get to see some of her art while we look at this little interview. But anyway, she's been creating amazing art for all of these years, and she's gone in and out of the art world and has had a renaissance in her work lately. So I'm very excited to talk to her and dive into this interview. Oh my goodness. I'm so happy to be able to talk to you again. I was just watching our video this morning and it was so much fun. Right. And you know something, you were so great and so and so informative. I, I thought that you were more serious and I was more humorous. <laughs> you know? That's like if I can be the straight lady to somebody, that's that's perfect. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. So this podcast is mostly for uh, my audience is mostly young women listeners. And I just want to be able to give those listeners a sense that they can do whatever they want with their lives and that it's not always going to be an easy path or a straight path, but it's always going to be uh, an adventurous one if you're doing what you want to do. That's correct. And it's also, that's so important, by the way, to actually be the architect of your life and do what you want to do. That's so important. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what we're, that's exactly what I want to talk about, being the architect of your life. So just for everybody that's listening, because I think I'm going to throw this whole thing onto the uh, podcast. This is 
Judith Bernstein. Since graduating from Yale in 1967, she has developed a reputation as one of the most unwaveringly provocative artists of her generation, steadfast in her cultural, political, and social critique for over 50 years. Bernstein surged into art world prominence in the early 1970s with her monumental charcoal drawings of, well, objects that are kind of half penis, half screw, early incarnations of which were exhibited at Air Gallery, Brooklyn Museum, MoMA PS1, among other institutions. And today she creates incredible large-scale paintings that glow with color, incorporate massive vaginas as well, and address the politics of our time fearlessly. So Judith, can you tell me First of all, where are you? How are you? What are you doing today? Well, I'll tell you something. I'm great. And you know something? It's funny because here I'm I'm much older, much older. And I will tell you that I'm still being provocative and I'm doing what I want. And it's been a great journey. And uh, right now I'm working on a couple different issues. One is gaslighting. And also the other one is hot hands. And uh, both gaslighting, we, now it's becoming so much part of the vernacular, but it, mm. started, out, it started out with a, a book and a, and a play and then a movie with um, Charles Boyer and Ingrid Bergman, where he tries to undermine her uh, sanity um, in the movie. And it, and it's, 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 the movie was done in 40, uh, in the forties, the late forties, but nevertheless, um, we use that now. And it's, um, he tries to undermine her sanity because he wants to take over this large building that she has inherited from an aunt that has a lot of jewels in it. And he wants to find them without being encumbered by her looking at it. Anyway, that's the, that's yeah. the history of it. But nevertheless, um, I'm dealing with gaslighting and um, it's, it's a kind of abuse, by the way, men do it to men, women, women do it to women. The president has, has done that. The past president, Donald Trump has done that all the time with saying, Oh no, I didn't say this and stuff that we know is a complete lie, but it's not just Donald Trump. It's the way people behave toward each other. So anyway, I'm dealing with this gaslighting and I'm also, and I'm working uh, with fluorescent paint so that you can also see it under a surrealist, surrealist light where it goes pop and, uh, and also hot hands. And hot hands is a term that, that many people may know or not. It's a basketball term. And it's a basketball ter term that the guy who has the basketball, who's making the most baskets, they try to put the ball in his court and his hands because they think it's a myth. But nevertheless, they think he has a better chance of getting it in the basket. But you can use that as so many metaphors. And hot hands could be about art. It could be about the stock market. It could also be about abuse. It, it has many, many different um, different venues. So I'm fooling around with words. And also, I love the humor of the words. And I also love the images that are as strong as the wording. So it's been great. It's been great. Um, it's, you know, it may be a lockdown time for a while, but artists don't sleep. They keep working and working. And this artist does anyway. So it's been, it's been great. It's been great. 
Yeah, I was wondering, I was just about to ask that, you know, your apartment is your own world. The audience will not be able to see this, but from where I'm sitting talking to you, I can see all of the objects that you have gathered that are part of your art and part of your life. And I wonder what it was like to go through lockdown. Were you feeling like you were your own island already? Or what was that like? Was it isolating? Well, I'll tell you something. There was an enormous amount... At first, you're quite depressed about it because I would go out in the street in the beginning and there was no one on the street. It was like a 50s movie, a surreal 50s movie where they had some kind of horrible a nuclear bomb and there was no one avail- no one there. So it was it was depressing. But I will tell you that when you work, you get into your own world and your own head. So therefore, you overcome it to to some extent, but it, it's it's been a, it's been a difficult time for everyone, but obviously some people worse, and people with the underclass obviously much worse. But nevertheless, um, I have done a fair amount of of art pieces, and I've moved on in terms of the way I'm dealing with um, gaslighting in terms of being more expressionistic than I had before and using imagery that is different dealing with those issues. But I'll tell you, frankly, I'm also having a lot of fun. One thing that you have to do is that you have to, you have to have fun. And when you're doing what you want to do, that's, that's, that's a great privilege. It's a great privilege. You don't always get rewarded for what you want to do, but it's important to do what you want to do. It's, it's a great, it's, it's, it's just a great time for me. Even, even if I'm, I'm getting close to 80, I'm 78 and I will be 79 in October, but Hey, it's still a great ride. Yeah. And as things are opening up a little bit more, we're facing the idea that things could get better, but we're also facing the threat of the Delta variant and so much uncertainty. And how do you manage that anxiety being stuck between two worlds, the world of possible lockdown, the world of possible opening up? Like, what what is that like? Well, I'll, I'll tell you something. I think it's very different for everyone. But for me, I'm still moving on. I'm still, um, I'm going to have an exhibition at... Uh, Paul Kasman in the fall. And so I'm very happy about that. We're launching a print called Equality that I actually did the original piece in, in 1995. And now it's even more pertinent today than it was at that time. That piece was also shown at a Donald Trump show called Cabinet of Horrors at the Drawing Center in 2017. But um I've always dealt with the political and the sexual so that the sexual, which gives you, you know, a real, you know, burst of energy and all, and actually it's funny because it's like an ejaculation. Humor is an ejaculation and it also is a power surge. So I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing what I want to do. Now I'll tell you something, when I get a little down, what I do is I watch old movies and I watch movies on TV. I have to say that I am addicted. So I'm not, I mean, this is not just, you know, I'm not just uh, a goody two shoes. I have my, I have issues too, you know, but nevertheless, um, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful thing to be able to go into your own head and do things that give you so much pleasure in terms of trying to um, deal with um, uh, uh, so many, to, to go into your subconscious 
and see what you can come up with. But it's a, it's a great, it's a great ride. It's a great mm-hmm. ride. I want to know about this TV watching because I always feel <laughs> whenever I'm watching television, right. I always feel so guilty because I'm like, I could be using my time in a better way. But do you, I, I mean, maybe it's uh maybe you need that downtime in order to keep creating stuff. Well, you know, I'll tell you something. There's a certain amount that you space out. When I watch TV, I'm what, you know, um, the history of movies, the movies are an extraordinary thing. And of course, America is so involved with the movie industry and Hollywood. And when you see the history of the movies and what's gone on, it really is an extraordinary journey. And it, um, it uh, I mean, it's, it deals with fantasy. So therefore, you're, you're getting out of your own head. And many times the issues can be similar that you're having. But nevertheless, um, it's still removed from you. And I know exactly what you're talking about because I have that same feeling sometimes, oh, I shouldn't be watching this. I should be working every minute. But hey, I'm a person. You, you have to take some, you have to take some downtime. And I'll tell you something, watching some some great movies never hurt anyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially the classics. We Absolutely. love the classics. My one of my favorites is "To Have and Have Not." Yes, that's yes. one of my favorite ones. I love a Bogart and Bacall moment. There's nothing that makes. I mean, especially as a drag queen, there's sure. n- nothing like that era for to to give you inspiration for how to be glamorous and mysterious. And <laughs> I agree with you. I think it's a fabulous time, but it also. Yeah. It also does it for for everyone, and that's and and it's and it speaks. And a lot of the movies are have very basic issues that they're dealing with, and they're issues that continue. So, and they're also they're also fun. Also, um, a lot of the a lot of the things are movies that that were when I was a kid, or even before I was born. I love I love mysteries. By the way, I love like yeah. the Third Man with Orson Welles, I, yeah. I, Joseph Cotton, and I love mysteries. So I'm a happy little clam watching watching movies. And what I do is, I'll uh, since I'm in the same place, I work on my artwork, let it dry for a bit, and then I go and I watch a movie. And I watch part of it because many times I've seen the movie before, so I come back. Right work on it, come back again. And when you've only seen a little bit of it, if you've seen the movie a few times, you know, you know how it ends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, what's going to happen. And not only that funny that subconsciously you remember half the lines, which you don't even realize that you remember until you see someone prompting you with the line. You yeah. Know? So, so there's, it's like an old, it's like visiting an old friend. So I have to say that, it produces um, a really a fun thing too. So, Hey, yeah. it's cool. You if know? it makes you happy. Yeah. You know something I say, anything that makes you happy, go ahead. <laughs> exactly. That's always my, my rule. If it makes you happy, doesn't cause anyone else any, any harm, then, right. then it's yeah. yours to do. Yeah. So you were talking about um, movies that you enjoyed when you were young and I was wondering, well, my favorite part of this podcast is being able to press rewind a little bit and talk about incredible women's stories from the very beginning. So I wanted to know, what were you like as a kid? What was your family like? Because I understand that you grew up in Newark, New Jersey, 
And I just wanted to know what that world was like for you. My family moved when I was nine years old and we moved to a small town called Bradley Beach, which was right near Asbury Park. It's on the coast of it's on the Atlantic coast and it is a beach town. So I moved there. I would say that I was a fairly isolated kid. I would say that I would say that my childhood was fine, but it was, I would say, somewhat isolated. I was not, you know, the, uh, the cheerleader type. I was watching TV when I was a kid and I would watch, um, they would watch talk shows and comedians and stuff like that. So my own humor stems, stems a lot from that. So I, and also I get a big kick out of it, you know, Buddy Hackett and, you know, so many of these guys, show of shows, by the way, Milton Berle. And my brother used to watch an awful lot of these fabulous ones, Ernie Kovacs and all kinds of things. So it's, it's a different time. And that kind of humor is, is not as prevalent today, but I use a lot of those kind of humorous things um, in terms of my own work, you know, in terms of titles. And I think that it's always so important to have humor because and um, because it it limit it limits the horror of what you may be talking about and the and the issues that are very very strong. So it's an important I think it's a very important um, process with me. And I didn't realize how much humor I had in my work till I uh, till much later. I had done a lot of works and I they were casual drawings, you know, uh, cock in the box and, and all kinds of things that I thought were, were funny and great. What, uh, what happened was I, um, when I was a student at Yale, and this was when I was a graduate student, because when I went to Yale in 19, in the 60s, there were no women who were undergraduates or only graduates that were women. What did that, what did that feel like? Well, you know, I'll tell you something, I was not the only woman, but I know that in the art school, um, there were only three women in my class, and it was um, it, in a certain way. It, at first, at first, I was the attitude was that, oh my God, look at all these guys for me. This is just wonderful. It's you know, it's like a candy shop. Ho ho ho! But then you realize that there's a lot of things that are negative about this, and the fact is that women were not treated the same way. Now, I have to say that in academia, I did not feel discrimination. I really did not. Whereas in the when I got out of Yale, meaning when I it sounds like when I got out of jail, when I when I graduated, by the way, from the school, um, I, I went to New York and there were there were limited opportunities for women. So what happened was that I um, I, I there was a group of women that got together that started AIR. And what happened was that they. Um, they want. They were women like myself who had gone to graduate school, and they didn't have opportunities to show. So we got together and we started this gallery, and we started the gallery with twenty women. And I, I originally thought they wanted to figure out a, 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 um, the name of the gallery. I said twat. 20 women artists together. But nevertheless, that was that. Unfortunately, was a before it's time. Yes, so, that's what it was. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. 
Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. By the way, and even at that time, I didn't take it seriously. I mean, today, that would be the only gallery. Yeah, exactly. But but it's it's funny. So at that time, we we did these these. um, So I, I thought that that would be a great name. You see. Most galleries have the name of the of the dealer or the the backer, you know, as the name of the gallery. So we so we figured out AIR. Um, Howard Dina Pendel had said that um, let's name it Air uh, Jane Air, and then we said Air from that. It was you know a, um, a play on that. Yeah. And uh, and then artists in residence because there are stickers. Right. There used to be above all the lofts that artist in residence. So if there was a fire that the fire department would wake up the artists and get them out of there. So um, we started, we started, we started air and air was actually very good because it was a, um, it was a gallery that had a more conceptual kind of a bent. So it was the perfect, um, it was a perfect name for that. And it was in the air, so to speak, uh, the, yeah. the first woman's gallery. And it started in 1972. And many of us, including myself, did not have other options. So this really worked well. So we got a lot of support from um, critics. So we, 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 we started showing and that's how AIR started. And that's how a lot of us started our careers. But without that, and, and that was the first, and I had the first one person show in 1973. It was in October 1st, 1973 is when I had my first show. I had my first show and AIR's first show. Before that, everyone was in a two person show and I had the last two persons. So they gave me the first one person show. So uh, that's how that's how my career started. That's how my career started. I had st- when I was at Yale, I was thinking about what to do, and I had read an article in the New York Times that said, "Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf?" This was in '66, and this is a this was this was taken from Bathroom Graffiti. I said, "Wow, what a great idea!" I, I immediately got someone, and we went the guys to take me into the men's room, and I started using scatological graffiti. And that's when I did, I started my Fuck Vietnam series. And the Fuck Vietnam were perfect at that time because it was a war that was, um, um, that people were constricted. So therefore, all, all the people, all the, all the guys didn't want to go to war, especially students. And there was enormous amount of protest. There were graffitis in the bathroom, like, I'm going to Vietnam. I hope I come back you know, and why am I going for what, you know, kind of yeah. thing. So um, it was, it was a sad time in a lot of ways. And I made these, these, these drawings and paintings. Um, one drawing was a guy flying through the air with a, a cape that was American flag. That's one was called super cock. The cock was three times the size of the guy. Another one was super zipper with a zipper on it, a, a literal zipper. And another yeah. one was Viet cock, which that that his his rear was attached to the uh, the capital. So I did a, a series of those, and I did when I came to New York, 
I did a painting that was called The Fun Gun, and it was an anatomical drawing of a, a, a cock with, with um, a gun. Uh, the, the phallus was a gun, and it had a trigger on it, and it, and it looked like, and it was uh, transformed into a gun. And that, it was also about my take on masculinity and also the, the connection between masculinity and war. And I, yeah. and I did, I did, a, uh, I did one drawing that was, that the Whitney bought, which was um, drawings of tombstones that, that were, that were all cocks. And it was a Vietnam garden and it shows you the people that died. And um, some had a Jewish star like you're wearing and they yes. have a, they have a cross on some of them and stuff like that. So yeah. and I also put on uh, Grillo um, uh, steel wool on the hair part of it. There was it was a very it was a very difficult time. That was the Vietnam and a very unpopular war. Yeah. So you're at Yale, right? You're one of a few women, and you walk into the men's room and you see the worries and the humor of the time writ large on the walls of the bathroom stalls. And it gives you this kind of template for how to speak loudly and with crass humor about things that are really actually important and concerning people. That's correct. And you sort of carry that forward through the rest of your career. One of the things I'm curious about now, you talk a lot about male ego. You talk a lot about your ego. You have a piece that is your name, like 30 feet tall. And you have the the screw penis hybrid paintings, right. uh, uh, drawings. And I wanted to know a little bit about those and how those came about for our listeners it, you're not mishearing me. They are literally, I think you said sometimes 30 foot long uh, drawings of screws that end with a penis head. And right. you, your eye kind of goes back and forth between seeing uh, the screw and the penis. And I just wanted to know about, about those because they're fascinating. And they're actually very beautifully drawn too. They're very beautiful. Well, you know, you know what, I'll tell you something. At, there was a time when it was like the, the, um, the pop art. It was screw screwing being screwed. So therefore, I thought about using the image of a screw. And then I made a series that a screw became a phallus. First, it was literally a screw horizontally. And then it was a flathead screw, a roundhead screw, and then it became a phallus. So I had that transition. And then when, and those were small drawings. And then I made, then I made them larger. And it, with the pop art thing is, let's make it larger. Let's make yeah. it, let's make it super large. Let's make it humongous. And yeah. what also happens is that it infantilizes the viewer, especially men, by the way, when they see that. Now, a lot of people, a lot of people really like them. Um, a, a, a enormous amount of people like them. They actually, people like them for different reasons. Women like them for certain reasons. And also it was about, um, it was also... Uh, about anti-war. It was also about sexuality and it was also about feminism. Mine is bigger than yours. <laughs> and mine yeah. is much bigger than yours. <laughs> so it was fun, but I will tell you that the 
the style of it was was very aggressive and it was not it was not humorous it was funny the idea of the scale and what i did was amusing but the but the the style of it was serious and all the stuff i do it's can be funny but it's dead serious. And this, these were, were very dead serious. But I did those screw drawings for a long time. Sometimes they were verticals and they were like missiles, like five panel vertical. Yeah. And they were, they were, uh, they were very liberating for me. They were uh, a woman doing what she wanted. And my idea of feminism was observing the men and critiquing the men. But I'll tell you something. Um, at the time, I felt that if women were in charge, we would not have this kind of war. Now, I will tell you that at this point, I don't feel that way. I think women can be just as aggressive and just as vicious as the guys can be. And we see that with different political candidates. Um, for example, Obama was softer than Hillary Clinton was, was. So that I don't think that is only gender. I think gender is a factor, but it's not the only thing. So then I, when later on, when I started doing these cunt paintings, by the way, these paintings, which were birth of the universe pieces, those birth of the universe pieces, I equated human birth and birth of the universe. And I, and women were at the center and they were cunt face, which I love the word cunt face, cock eyes and cunt face, because I love the crudity of it because you remember it. And it's right in your face, so to speak. It has teeth. And it also was with um, fluorescent. And fluorescent gave it a real punch, real punch. And um, so I also am critiquing women because they have a lot of rage. They have a lot of anger. And I saw that in my primal family. My mother had a lot of rage and anger. She was not a woman who um, had great ambitions for something else, which which I saw when I was part of the Gorilla Girls and I was part of other groups. And I saw how rageful women were. They are ignoring me and my voice is not heard. And with me, I screamed as loud as I could so my voice would be heard. But um, I, I felt that, uh, um, but I saw the rage that women have. And I also use that rage in terms of my own work. Um, you know, many times people use the rage in, in just a general way. I don't do that. I use the rage in a very specific way to say what I want to say politically. And that's very important. But I do. I my work. My work is crude. It's direct. And it's also fun. Yeah. And it carries a message, too. In, in a way, it, it but it has a subtext so that there's a psychological element to my work, too. And um, so that and I don't even realize it sometimes when I'm thinking, because many times the insight that I'm telling you, I got after I did the pieces, not before. Right. Assume, by the way, that I knew this and it was some kind of feminist theory. That was not the case. I went on instinct and the instinct gave me a lot of insight. And that's actually how I did my work. But nevertheless, people, people handle their own work any, you know, any way they, do, they can. But right. I, was, I was very lucky because after so many years, my work is validated. My work is known. And this is a great, this, this was a great, a, a great thing for me because you could, you know, you can do what you want. That doesn't mean you can be rewarded. 
And um, I was lucky because I lived long enough to get to get sales, to get shows, to get museum, uh, um, you know, represent uh, buying and gallery representation. But um, I, I, I put in a hell of a lot of time, you know, but it's not just it's not that just the time you put in. It's actually that you're saying something that people want to hear at a specific period of time. We talked about this a little bit during my art form interview with yes. you, but I think when you were starting out, you were screaming at this certain volume that wasn't in style yet. That's right. That's and right. then now today, when there is so much rage and so much to be angry about, you're screaming at the volume of the times and right. it's the perfect pitch for the moment. Yeah. So you've achieved this, this yeah. place in your life and you're in a great moment. Right. I wonder for our young listeners, especially young women, sure. looking back, what are some things that you wish you knew when you were <laughs> first launching your, your art career? Well, I'll tell you something. If I knew what I knew now, I probably would have just killed myself. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Sometimes being clueless is a help, by the way, you know. Honestly, absolutely. (laughs) If I had known what 2020 was going to be like, same. You know what I mean? Yeah. Also, you don't realize all the all the things that lie ahead. And um, you I just kind of proceeded with what I wanted to do. And I didn't really understand um, a lot of the mechanism of how the art world works. And um, and it's a great place, but it's a very difficult place. And it's very hard to maneuver. And I was always on the outside looking in, and now I'm inside. So it's it's been it's been great. Um, I what I what I didn't know, Jesus, I didn't know so much. I was so clueless, I have to tell you. Um, there was something wonderful about AIR because it was at a time that I w- we were young, it was the 70s, and we thought anything was possible. That is not the case, but nevertheless, we did what we wa- I did at least what I wanted to do. And, p- and I didn't know any, I didn't know any different. And I was not interested in following what other people were doing. And I was not following, um, um, you know, the, the work that was, you know, current at the moment. Very and true. This was, my cho- this was my choice. And um, I would not have done anything different because I had to follow my own, um, my own rage, my own um, dealing with injustice, which was so important to me. And, um, uh, you know, it's it, it it was it's an important it was a very important thing to me to do what I wanted to do. But I I think that people, you know, they have to do people have to do what what's right for them. That's my yeah. I, I don't really, um, you know, because this worked for me, but that doesn't mean it. And not only that, not everyone is waiting, is willing to wait 40 years to show their work, you know, 25 yeah. And or or another twenty five years or so. So, you know something. Um, this is a time where being outspoken is 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 very is, is can be uh, can be rewarded. So this is this is great. I also when I started showing recently in the last I'm talking a little more than ten years. Um, I also had the work that I was currently doing 
and also the work, the backlog of work that I had done for a long period of time. So there was an awful lot of work that could be cherry picked and uh, shown at different shows, different things and stuff like that. But, yeah, um, you know, uh, and also I'm a hoarder, so I don't throw anything out. Yeah. Hardly anything. And when I threw something out, I said, oh, my God, I threw this out. You know, you know. Yeah, right. So I I I have that with my with with me, too. Like, I'm like, I don't need this dress. I'm like, where is that dress? dress. Exactly. (laughs) This is just when I need that dress. Where is it, by the way? And, you know, it's it's funny because but nevertheless, um, I saved I saved a lot of stuff and that worked for me. But um, I you know, there's so many things I think that I think that many times when you're young, you have different needs and you waste a lot of times in terms of socializing and ridiculous relationships and stuff like that, um, that you felt were important at the time, you know. Hey, I was only human. (laughs) What I'm hearing from you is something that has come up with a lot of our guests, where you just do what you think is right. And sometimes it will be applauded. Sometimes it will sell and sometimes it will not. But you have to keep doing it because when that moment comes, you want to be prepared. Now, I see this with in my field with young drag queens when they are just starting out and they're not getting the shows that they want and they're not getting the guest spots that they want. They don't make new numbers. They don't work on their dancing skill. They don't work on their lip sync. They don't go see other drag queens to find out what works and what doesn't. You kind of have to just keep doing what you want to do, whether or not it's selling or getting money because then when that moment comes you'll be like oh i have a new show now i have 400 new numbers that i've been working on i've been working on my dancing i've been working on my like i know how to style hair i know how to sew and you're ready um but if you're if you're only working when people are clapping then it, it doesn't work out. And I think that for me, I've, I've, I've struggled with that, you know, because I f- feed off of applause a lot too. Yeah, of course. And I need to encourage myself to, you know, keep working in the dark sometimes. That's right. You know, I'll tell you something, it's so important because um, it's so important to keep moving forward because it gives you much more pleasure. But an awful lot of people, when they don't get the applause, when they don't get the recognition, they stop. They stop right there. They, and so many people go to art school, go to graduate school, and they stop working at a certain point because they haven't gotten what they feel they should be getting. And they go into another field. And many times they're quite bitter. They're bitter about what they did and they haven't gotten. And, uh, and um, it's, um, it's, it's tough. You're not, uh, you're, you're, it, just because you're doing something doesn't mean that you're going to get the recognition and the love and the rewards that you think you deserve. You just have to, you have to have that within yourself. And then you have to also always keep moving forward. Just the way you said, look around just like this, like an artist at this point, um, young women artists should go and look at a lot of work that's being happening in the museums, in the galleries, read, read about the critics, what they say, and it's very important to con- and also to make connections with not only you're thinking of connections in terms of what will 
move you forward, but also uh, stay with people who whose work you like and work you really you really like uh, love and value. And this is a community that will keep you going. And I know that the feminist community kept me going. Now I have to say that not all feminists embrace me because in the beginning they were they were saying that that the only the only avenue to feminism was self was self reflection. I mean, if you didn't if it didn't have a cunt and it had a cock, then that's not feminism. That kind of right. thing. And so um, that was that was wrong. Now some people change their mind and some may never. That's how yeah. it goes, you know. But nevertheless. Um, I know that Paul McCarthy had said to me one time, he said, well, she doesn't think a cock is, fem- is feminist. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> so, um, so, you know, it, it had to do, it had to do with a big curator, I have to say. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Nevertheless, um, you know, I did, I do what I do and you, and you, and, um, but it's, it's very hard to be in a field that you're trying to create a market for something that is not, um, it, it, it doesn't guarantee that, and it's not always that people want to see. So it's 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 a tough it's a tough thing. Um, it's you all people also have to reevaluate not only criticize the market, but also see what they're doing, how that relates to what is. Um, what has to be said, how it's said, what the style is. And um, so it's not just um, because people said, oh, well, they don't like this or that. And they are not many times reevaluating the quality of their own work and what they have to say. And that's very important. Yeah. Just like you said, you constantly have to see other drag queens, try other acts, try different ways to handling stuff. Because people want to see new stuff. They want they don't want to see the same stuff over and over again. And and right now, images right away, people see things, they're tired of it, they want to move on to another image and another thought and another Very idea. True. So yeah. you, you have to keep you have to keep moving forward. And the idea one foot ahead of each each other, keep moving forward, keep moving yeah. forward. And that's the only way you can handle your life. At least yeah. that, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah. So this is what I want to ask you next then. As you're putting one foot in front of the other, <laughs> what's something that you would love to do next? Something that you would love to explore next that's on the horizon for you in your studio? You know something? I have ideas and I will tell you that I probably um, had I been uh, young, if I started out now, I would probably make movies and some videos. Right now, I'm working on some other images, some other ideas, and I can't wait to explore them. But it's always keep moving, keep moving. Yeah. And, and also, it's fun. It's it's fun. It's fun to do this. It's scary, too. But forget the fear. Move on. And fear fear is a great thing to work against. And, that, and you have to realize that the more fearful you are many times, the better the work can be after uh, that comes out of that. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I was just thinking about that. As you said that, I've thought about some of the greatest work I did that I love came out of a time where I was like, I can't do it. 
I can't that's do this. Right. It's right. too much that's for me. I right. I can't write this hour. I can't do this dance number. I can't do what I mean. Like I, I was sure that I could not. So that's a good lesson for our listeners too. That minute where you're sure you can't, you may just be able to. Yeah. You know, take something. It's like jumping off a cliff. You have to do it by the way. Yeah. And, you know, and I just saw a movie last night, the razor's edge, but nevertheless, um, jumping off a cliff and sometimes there's not a safety net. You just jump off and that, and that's, and that's where you go and you don't know where that can lead. And that's, and there's a lot of reward in that. Yeah. Well, Judith, thank you so much for joining us today. I was so glad to interview you the first time. And this has been so wonderful. Everybody look up Judith Bernstein. We're going to share some of her images as well. It is such an incredible story and give those art pieces, give those paintings some time and and absorb the message because it may sound like screaming, but there is a whisper underneath it. And I love that too. So thank you, Judith. And also thank you very much. And I, I, it was such a pleasure having you in my studio and the, 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 uh, the talk we had with Art Form and also the talk today. Okay, Cradleina, that was our interview for today. Did you enjoy that? That was a really good one. It was a really good one. I feel like uh, you and her are like cut from the same cloth. (laughs) I I know. (laughs) I feel like I'm looking into my future. Right, right? Yeah. And I was just saying to you before we stopped ourselves because we were saving it for this uh, recording, (laughs) I was just like, I feel the same way when I talk to her that I feel when I'm talking to one of my cousins or one of my aunts, like we're so similar. Mm-hmm. We're from the same family. Yeah. We just yap about the the same stuff we always yap about, you know? Yeah. And I, I just, I mean, I feel like based, every single thing she said resonated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everything she said resonated. And I feel like she's so smart and she's seen so much and lived such a life. I wish she was like my neighbor who I could like drop off uh, like food for and we would sit and have yeah. coffee and chat every day or something. You know what I mean? I mean, one of the only people that I would do train transfers for, honestly. Right. I'm like, well, I have to find an apartment in Chinatown now so mm-hmm. we like can be neighbors with her. Yeah. <laughs> Just a wonderful person. And there's something so humbling to me that she kept working for like 40 years without any recognition. Yeah. And and finally got it at like, like in her seventies really. Yeah. So it's like, when you think of, I can only think in terms of my own world, think of drag queens that lose all their shows and are Mm -hmm. like, fuck this, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, yeah, that stuff happens in the world of the arts and in the world in general. Yeah. You just do what you want to do. If it means that much to you, keep going and your time will come back around. Mm-hmm. What's important is that you're doing what you want to do, you know? A cliche, but we really are like in a instant gratification right. type of generation and era right yeah. now. Like you're saying, and like you were saying earlier about young drag queens. Yeah. They're immediately like, yeah. Okay, where's my recognition? Where's my shows? Where's right. my Instagram following? But it's like, there were many a generation before us that yeah. wasn't 
and like an instant gratification type of generation. And you might have to keep working for a long time before you get it. And I also want to be clear that I'm saying this about myself too. Yeah. Because the minute COVID hit and I wasn't hearing applause from audiences anymore, I'm like, what is the point? You blah, blah, blah. You know, I have this, I think we all have this problem too. I have this problem where if it's not going the way that I want and I'm not getting the, you know, the followers and the, the favor that I want, then I get overly frustrated too. So it's important just to remember, keep doing your thing. Someone that I heard this also from was Joan Rivers, who said, you know, one day you're going to be playing Madison Square Garden. And the next, you're going to be having five people ignore you at a small upstate casino. Yeah. And you oh, just... Oh, you you've told me this right? before, yeah. And you just book them, and you yeah. go. And you get your shift meal, and then you mm-hmm. go back and you do your second show for four yeah. people who are drunk and, and in fighting the, over the bill. And in the drag world, and I think in the, maybe you can attest in the art world as well, it's so easy to compare to look at other drag queens or other artists and being like, oh yeah, where what they're doing? What the why am I not? <laughs> wait, wait a second. So, such and such artist traces Xerox copies of celebrities, and, and they have a gallery show. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. Like, come on, I can't believe that she's uh, not. She's doing paint by numbers. Yeah, and she, yeah. You know, like look at all the work that I've done. It's like it's not about that, sweetie. Yeah. Just, if you like it, do it. If do you don't your thing. Like it, do your yeah. own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So anyway, Judith Bernstein, wonderful to talk to her again. And uh, now, my little Craitlin, it's time for us to take a little break. Okay, we're back. Now, first of all, I want to say this again. If you liked your time with us today, make sure to subscribe, rate, and above all, review the podcast. We love reviews. <laughs> we love reviews so much. In fact, we love them to a point where we read some of our favorite reviews right here at the end of the podcast. Sadly, we don't not have this any. Week. We, yeah. Not this week. We don't have any reviews today. Uh, but I, I will say that I feel like randomly in person. People are. Some random will be like, "I love your podcast." I'm like, I'm like, oh. Send like it in. Real yeah. life, uh, like uh, um, gratification, I guess. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Like the applause we need to get. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if you're waiting to tell us in person, don't go leave a review. <laughs> yeah. Next time someone's like, "I listened to your podcast and I really," I'm just gonna be like, "Shh, put yeah, it." In yeah. The- <laughs> don't want to hear it. <laughs> write it down. <laughs> put it in the app. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, send us uh, reviews. We love that. Well, we sound insane we right are, now, but <laughs> we are insane. We've just had so much coffee, Caitlin. I still have more too. Yeah. I- I'm going to finish the whole thing. Every single drop. (laughs) But enough about that. Caitlin, it's time for the credits. You like, I like see your, like you physically sit up taller. You know what I mean? You love the credits. I love the credits. Because it, it means that we've reached the end of a very like long process where I've done all this research and we've done yeah, the interview and true, blah, blah, blah. And you've like found a guest for us. Anyway, enough about that. Like I said. This podcast was produced so beautifully by Caitlin Gretham, and <laughs> oh. then I did it. The cast includes me and also Caitlin, 
and it is distributed by the amazing Studio 71. So thank you for joining us today. Make sure to tune in next Monday for another exciting episode. And remember, if you ever feel down, all you have to do is look in the mirror and say, she's a woman. And I'll be with you. Wow, we were amped for this part <laughs> I of don't the- know why. <laughs> it's because Judith inspired us. I you know. know, she perked us right up. <laughs> Can't wait to, I'm going to bring her some croissants. Oh my God, that's when we can remember how I was like, we have to go eat in Chinatown. That's when we'll do it. We have to- we'll bring her some pork buns. I want to.